shared this with a number of people, but a few years ago, I went with some buddies to attempt to summit Long's Peak in Colorado, a 12-mile hike with an elevation gain change of over 3,800 feet from trailhead to peak. Standing at uh, 14,259 feet is a pretty exhilarating experience. It's awesome. The view was amazing. The feeling was of accomplishment was just phenomenal. All the prep, the planning was done. The hike actually finished now, or the goal reached at least, and for a brief moment there was celebration. You ever had a mountaintop experience? Like stood on a mountaintop? It's pretty cool, huh? How about a different kind of mountaintop experience? I had another one last week. So after a year after, a year after not physically meeting for Resurrection Sunday, uh, together, we were able to enjoy the fruits of a lot of people's labor. We had food prep going on. We had construction projects happening, music planning and prep and practicing. Wayne was working on sermon with the pulpit team, and, and classes were being prepped and decorating. There was so much happening. Middle schoolers were filling eggs so that the kids could go hunt them after the sunrise service. There was so much happening just for us to be able to come and remember the sacrifice of our Savior in a fun and unique way and to celebrate the fact that He is risen indeed. And I don't know about you, but I had a great time. I mean, it was so good that, that some of us who might have grown up in the Baptist church might have been dancing a little bit when we were singing, ain't no grave gonna hold us down, right? Like, like seriously, like if, even if you don't dance, all right, if you don't dance, if your toes were not moving within your shoes where no one could see them at least, you might need to check your pulse, okay? Just make sure you're, you got things going on. It, and in fact, if you weren't so enthralled with the way the Spirit of God moved in Mark to tell the story of Jesus laying down his life for you with the backdrop of the Roman triumph, then you might need to check your hearing. It was awesome. I had a great time, and if you were able to join us, I hope you did too. My question, though, is, how was the rest of your week? How was the rest of your week? Because here's, here's what I know. It's not uncommon for believers in Jesus to buy into the lie that when Jesus promised abundant life, that it would be easy. This is a constant battle that we must wage see, sometimes we, we may wish like we might wish that we were a little bit like the thief on the cross next to Jesus, who all of a sudden woke up to the fact that Jesus was the one he said he was, and he trusted in him and said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. There wasn't a long time there between that belief and the fact that he got to sit with, in paradise with Jesus. But if you and I, because we're sitting here today, the fact is we have another moment in our lives that we have a choice to make. We have another moment until paradise to decide who we will serve. We are called to rest in the wonder that God's amazing grace is sufficient for every moment of every day that we have been given. We are called to walk in such a way, practically, that we exhibit 
His grace in all that we do. We need to follow Him still and again. See, the desperate heart that longs for the mountaintop experience with God can lead some individuals to neglect the fact that everyday life is more than just sitting on a mountaintop. Following fleshly tendencies to avoid pain and seek pleasure, we can lose heart and chase the world's things in order to fill up and feel good. Our Lord is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. And sometimes he gives those those mountaintop experiences where we feel in a different way close to him with the blessings that he has given to us. The moments of actually standing on a mountaintop where we get to take in the majesty of his creation. Or maybe it is the powerful time together and fellowship and and singing and, and learning together God's word that we have those moments. Maybe it's a mission trip or a service project that you've been a part of where you see God use you practically and physically to change somebody else's life. Maybe that mountaintop experience was your wedding day or the birth of your child or grandchild. I've experienced many of those and they have all been sweet gifts of God. The point is though that at some point we have to descend the mountain. We have to go home to work to feed our families. We have to go home and live with our families and perhaps change dirty diapers and clean dirty floors. See, there are moments that, that the Lord gives us where following Jesus seems easy, but it is the routine and the mundane moments that we must also learn to wonder at the great I am so that we remain faithful. And after a wonderful series going through Mark together, challenged to follow Jesus, and it culminated last week in this great time celebrating together and having a lot of fun and eating a lot of good food. The question is, how did you fight the good fight and serve the Lord this last week since then? See, I believe there's three people, three types of people listening today. One is you're lost. You don't know Jesus. You're wandering around aimlessly trying to fill the void that you know is there on your own. The fact of the matter is the Bible says that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He rose again three days later, and he's offering life to you. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved too. And I challenge you, if that is you listening this, this, this time, that, that you will seek and trust Jesus and then learn with us what it means to follow him faithfully. The second type of person that, that is listening today is the one who did struggle following Jesus this last week. You had a great time, just like I did, but, but on your way home from service, you failed to love your family well. You failed to be kind to them and gentle and patient Or perhaps you were unkind to your neighbor and you showed him your tall finger in the school pickup line sometime this week. Your walk with Jesus looked a little more like this runner in the video. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can't. And you you see his face. And you know, no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. Ouch. 
Maybe that's you. Maybe you got distracted this week and didn't finish the day well. You didn't finish the week well in following Jesus, and, and you lost. The third type of person I think is listening today is a mature believer. I know many of you fall into this category. You've, you trusted Jesus years ago. You're learning to walk with him faithfully. You're doing the work. You understand that following Jesus isn't just sitting on a mountaintop singing some crazy song. So you might be wondering that voice in your head. Okay, never mind. I'm not the one who does voices. That's the other guy. Pick your own voice. But the question is, the question is, what does this message have to do with me? What does this message have to do with me? The fact is, if you're listening right now, you have another moment to decide what you're going to do. You have another moment, this moment, who are you going to serve? How are you going to follow Jesus now? No matter where you are in the journey, the scripture is filled with answers on how we walk with Jesus every moment of every day. And, and in the next few moments, I would like to take some statements from Dr. Luke, from Peter, and from Paul. Most of this won't be new to you, many of you. But I do believe it is crucial for us to be reminded to look again at these truths in order that we continue on the journey of living to live, learning to live in wonder of God's love and walk with him faithfully. The overarching reality is that we have some things that we should think over and over, truths that we should think about over and over again, and actions that we should do again and again. Let's begin with some things we should remember, think about. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, it says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. I like how J.R. Edwards states, uh, comments on this in, in his work on Luke. It says, the Christian doctrine of the incarnation affirms an absolute identification of the divine word with humanity. And yet the Son of God, born of Mary, the word made flesh, is forever a stranger and alien in this world. How foreign this Jesus to the domesticated Jesus of 19th century liberalism, so comfortably conventional and bourgeois. The world may claim shelter as an inalienable human right, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It may claim the right to a better future, but the Son of Man offers hope only in the coming kingdom of God. It may claim the right to rest, peace, and justice, but the Son of Man finds only tribulation in the world, end quote. So does this mean that, that we shouldn't have a place to live in order to follow Jesus? No. But coming to follow Jesus on our own terms is futile. See, if the Son of Man did not have a place to live, but he himself was a stranger and alien in this world, and you and I who claim the name of Christ are also called strangers and aliens, then we might want to remember just who it is in charge. And we should also pay attention to the fact of, of what we actually do need in order to follow Jesus. More on that in just a moment.
We must remember the cost of following Jesus, that he himself had no place to live. The terms of following him are his own. And he makes some drastic statements like hate your family and deny yourself. Luke 14, 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I like how Mike Eyre explained this in his book, Astonished. Eyre says, taking up one's cross was a renunciation of one's rights in the first century. Only criminals would take up a cross in Jewish society. Your friends and family would be dead to you. Your life as you had known was over. Jesus calls his followers to carry the crosses as he carried his. For some of his earliest followers, that meant a literal martyr's death. For most of us, that death won't be so literal, but it is true regardless. To follow Jesus is to prepare yourself to die. Yourself, your privileges, your entitlements, all are surrendered in order to follow Christ. We think the cross is the place where Jesus died, but it is a place where we die too. The self must die. That doesn't mean you lose your personality or cannot enjoy anything. It means your desires don't rule you anymore. They are submitted to something bigger, end quote. You see, what this means is that, that the whole building up of self-esteem movement that we have seen throughout our society is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, we are precious to the Lord, so loved that he sent his one and only son to die on our behalf, to give us an opportunity for life, but our worth is given by him. And there is a vast difference between being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit by believing on Jesus and ourselves thinking that we are good enough and deserve better. He is better. We should remember that following Jesus may lead to family and friends being separated for lots of different reasons. And that following Jesus requires us to deny self. We also need to remember that following Jesus means perseverance and finishing the journey. Luke 14, 28 to 32 says, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if, it, if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able to with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. If you drive around here in Frisco, Texas, you will see that, that business is booming. Development is happening. The housing market is, is it's insane what's happening around here. And we are reaping the benefits around here of a lot of economic growth. But if you take a short drive from the church here and go south on the toll road, you're going to come upon a, an abandoned work site. Wade Park was supposed to be a $2 billion project on 175 acres that included hotels, shopping center, restaurants, and many other things. Due to many issues still being worked through and figured out, the site sits with a few building shells dilapidating, though only a few years old. And it's got a big hole in the ground that was originally intended for the parking structure. I was reading something, somebody called it Lake Lebanon now. <laughs> See, this is what happens 
when the mismanagement of resources go, goes awry, that the job doesn't get finished. The job doesn't get finished. Those who are redeemed by Christ must persevere and see through to the finish line, and that means that we should give it all. Luke 14, says, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. Again, I like what Mr. Ayer says in his book. So we are consumers at heart. Our lives are built on the foundation of self-indulgence and gratification. What do I want and what do I need are the twin questions that drive us. Jesus summons us to abandon the project of finding life through what he calls the self, the way of life char living characterized by exalting self, glorifying self, promoting self, all in the strength of self that must be put to death in order to follow Jesus. What has to die is every impulse to assume authority and control over our own lives. End quote. Does this mean that to follow Jesus that I shouldn't have a... Uh, ability to enjoy the material things that God gives to me? Again, no. But how often do we equate material blessing with our spirituality? How often do we try to merge those things? It seems to me that many wealthy people throughout our culture and throughout history are spiritually bankrupt. So we must deny the health, wealth, and prosperity false gospel. And we must battle against thinking and acting selfishly every single moment of every single day. I wrote this statement in my Bible a while back reading through Luke. And I wrote it in the margin. It says, sometimes I feel secure thinking that I am willing to renounce all for Christ. My home, my stuff, my whatever material thing seems at the moment, nothing compared to Jesus. Sure, I'll give them up. He's better. Then my wife, my kids, or a friend asked me to do something to help while I'm at leisure and I must come face to face with the fact that my selfishness is greater than I thought. Denying self and bearing my cross is minute by minute. Lord, help me to be vigilant in the fight. See, we don't need to be ashamed whether the Lord has given us much materially or not. Remember that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. James tells us that our life is given to us. And following Jesus closely happens when we remember the cost of following him and wonder at the blessing of being found in him. Wonder at the blessing of being found in him. And Luke 15 records three parables that Jesus told about lost things that were found. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Here's the ending of each parable. Rejoice with me, the sheep owner says, because I have found my lost sheep. Jesus makes this statement. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The parable of the coin. The lady says, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. And at the end of the prodigal son parable, the father is talking to the older son and says, we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Remaining in awe and wonder at your salvation is vital to your following Jesus. If you forget the very reason that you are alive, then what meaning is there in life? John Newton penned the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, that we use as a reminder 
of that truth all the time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Meditating on that truth consistently helps you to do the work of following Jesus again and again and again. The alternative is that we we fixate on our own problems and we spiral into believing lies and become ineffective in our work. It is the truth that will set you free. And the truth is if you know Jesus, you have been found. Remain in awe and wonder of that fact. And then there are some things that we should do again and again in order to follow Jesus every moment of every day. One is we need to focus on the one who found us. You have been found. Focus on the one who found us. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. So that you won't grow weary and give up. Any of you in here like to run? There's a few of you crazy people. Um, When you're running, what do you look at? Ahead. You look ahead. You don't look down. You certainly don't look back. Because you might trip and fall, right? Like, You look ahead. The Christian race is the same. You look ahead. You look to Jesus, the one who began life for you, the one who is perfecting that faith. You look at him. You focus on him. He's the one that redeemed you. He bought you. He found you when you were lost. Focus on him. Go after him so that you won't crash and burn while you're looking at your shoes or looking at your past sins. Keep your eyes on him. He found you. He knows you. He loves you. Stay focused ahead. How do we do that? You ready for this? This is really profound. Read your Bible. Seriously. How often do we take our eyes off Jesus simply because we don't look at what he told us? He is the word in the flesh. He tells us who he is. He tells us how to live. And we neglect the simple thing that God gave us to know how to walk. Read it. Study it. Study it with friends. Find a group. Bible study. Something. Talk about it. Pray. Ask the Lord to help you to understand. Ask the Lord for wisdom so that you know what to do with what he told you. And the other way to focus on Jesus is to confess your sins. Because when I submit to him and confess my sins, I acknowledge that that I have done something against him. It's focused on him. He's faithful to forgive them and pick me up and help me walk. Focus on the one who found you. The other thing we should do again again and again is follow him daily in the home. Follow him daily in the home. 1 Peter 3, Peter says this, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, even if some disobey the word, that 
They may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. How is it that a marriage after 20 plus, 30 plus years falls apart? You unfortunately get to see this happen more regularly than I would like. And there's lots of answers that we could come up with. I think this statement might give a little bit of insight. When a man says he'll do anything for a woman, he means fight bad guys and kill dragons, not vacuum or wash dishes. I know you're thinking in that voice again. Again, you pick it. How does this statement give insight to a 20-plus year marriage falling apart? Let me see if I can paint a mental picture for you. Let's assume that on the wedding day, this man meant what he said when he said, I do. He took the words of Peter here seriously and was dedicated to show honor to his bride, to to learn to listen to her and care for her. He also took Paul's words seriously when, when Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he's thinking, sure, I'll die for her. She's my girl. I'll slay that dragon and defend her to the death. Let's assume the wife equally is ready to to honor the Lord and submit to her husband, and she loves him. She wants wants nothing more than to, to please him and to care for him. He is her knight in shining armor, and she's ready to follow him anywhere. Fast forward a few years. There's been no dragon to slay, save the the one at work, the hours at work to just try to put food on the table. Add the blessing of children with all that they bring, the work that they bring to care for them. And the wife's simple desire for for her guy to be more present at home and listen to her, maybe for him to wash a few dishes here and there too. The husband is now feeling disrespected because when his wife asks for help, all he can think about is the stress at work. He'll still kill that dragon for her, but if she just stopped nagging him to do the dishes, all would be better. See, if this is not stopped, if this crazy thinking is not stopped, the back and forth goes and develops into bitterness, and this is where one or both of them begins to question whether it's worth it anymore. Simply, I'm a very simple-minded person, simply unmet expectations are going on. Whether they are Fair expectations or not, there's unmet expectations, and each one of them has a choice to make once again and remember the commands of the Lord and do again what he has commanded. They said, I do before. Will they say, I do again today? Wives, your man man not doing dishes is not a reason to leave him. Now, I know that sounds crazy to even say. It is. But that's exactly how flippant our culture is and how we deal with the covenant marriage. It's exactly how our culture deals with this. And you and I have brothers and sisters in Christ who are abandoning the families over things like this. 
No matter how much it would help for him to do the dishes, vacuum, or whatever, honoring the Lord requires you to place yourself under the lordship of Jesus and the lead of your husband and faithfully stand by him even if he's not living with you in an understanding way. Does that excuse his sin? No. Ask the Lord to help you, though, in exemplifying the gentle and quiet spirit that Peter mentioned. Does that mean remain silent? No. No. You are his helpmate. You are the one that has been gifted to him to help him, pray for him, respect him as a brother in Christ, and seek ways moment by moment to show him that he is still your knight. Now, I understand. You may have to help him clean off that armor a bit because it's gotten dull and rusty. But that's what you committed to when you said, I do. Say it again and again and again. Gentlemen, if the Son of God stooped down to wash the stinky disciples' feet, and if he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead went after death, he emptied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, then wash the dishes and change the dirty diaper. If that's what will help your bride, do it. And if you don't know how, call me. I'll show you. Seriously. Guys, it could be one of the simplest ways for you to start shining that armor again to have your bride look at you the way she used to. Men, we must learn how to listen to our wives. It is not easy because we are selfish. But we must learn to get to know them and spend time with them doing so. It hurts just to even say that out loud, thinking about how often in 20 plus years I have neglected my bride at moments. But today's a new day. And we get to choose today whom we're going to serve. Serve the Lord by serving your wife again and again and again. There's so much more about following Jesus in the home but for right now, the one and the other one is children, obey your parents. You want to be faithful to Jesus? Listen. And do what your parents ask without complaint. I promise it will be good for you. We must follow Jesus again in the home. We must follow him in the redeemed community. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles' Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple they, and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As you read that, does that describe how you engage with the Lord's church? Are you in awe and wonder at the teaching of Scripture with your brethren? Are you sharing the blessings that the Lord has given to you with those that are around you that may need? Are you committed to regularly meeting together in worship and fellowship? If we added the passage from 1 Corinthians 12, as it is, there are many parts of the body, but one bo not, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weak are indispensable. 
And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Paul goes on, he says, Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Listen, if you are just coming to Sunday mornings to listen to a few songs and a message, or if you're not regularly coming, you're not regularly here attending and being a part because you're too busy with work or kids' schedules or sports, then you might be doing it wrong. If you're just not serving faithfully and regularly, if you haven't found the way to use the gifts that, that the God of the universe gave you to use to serve other people, to edify the saints, then you're missing out. If you're not discipling another person, then you're missing out of the blessing of following Jesus' example. If the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, then how are you exactly following his example? I know many of you have done it and are doing it. My challenge is do it again. Keep going. Do it again and again. Find another way if you need to to serve and edify the Lord's church. If you need help, ask. We would love to help you engage in that way. While following him daily in the redeemed community, we also spurred on to follow him in the world. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10 tells the story of a man who is in need of help on the side of the road. And these individuals passed him up. And in verse 33, he says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw him, the man, he had compassion. He went over to band him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. There are so many ways to be a good Samaritan. There are so many ways to care for people. Do it and do it again. Many times our busyness and, and simply not paying attention to those around us is what keeps us from meeting a need right before us. If we walk around with our eyes fixated on our phones or our own problems, then we might just miss the opportunity to serve and be a good Samaritan in the world and follow Jesus in that way. We need to be other-centered for the gospel's sake. In chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul discusses what should be done about uh, eating food offered to idols. He highlights how he learned to relinquish his own rights and do all for the glory of God. And in the middle of this, and, and uh, I just went further. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Right before that, Paul says, to the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I became all things to all people. Paul's attitude was that he would do everything in his power to meet the needs of someone else, to help share the truth of Jesus with them. Find a way. Be others-centered. How are you doing exercising self-control in order to run the race with purpose? Are you living holy unto the Lord that others might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? 
As a believer in Jesus, you have the eternal, you have the blessing of eternal life. Who are you sharing Jesus with? When I hiked Long's Peak, I spent a considerable time um, in the last part of the climb on all fours, crawling. People kept telling me the top is just a little further, it's just a little further, it's just a little further. And finally, I actually reached the summit. I didn't know it. And somebody says, Congratulations, you made it. I was so tired. I was crawling to the finish line. Honestly, it really wasn't pretty. In fact, I think it kind of looked like this. One day, our mountaintop experience will be getting to sit physically in paradise with our Savior. Until then, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep fighting the fight one moment at a time, one foot in front of the other, so that you finish the race, even if you've got to crawl across the line. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and finish the race so that you may say this like Paul did, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are grateful for the opportunity to walk with you. Because of the work that your son did on the cross, we have the ability to live and live abundantly. And yet that requires us to submit to you and to one another, to honor one another above ourselves because of our love for you. And I pray that you would search our hearts, that you would help us to understand what it means that we've got another opportunity right now to do what is right, no matter the circumstances that are before us today. And I ask that you would encourage us and challenge us and convict us and help us to see what it is that we should do today to honor you, to follow you again still. For anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, I ask that you would pierce their heart and help them see that they need you. Lead them to confess faith in you so that they might have life abundant as well. In Jesus' name.